hostile world in order to make God known. That's a simple way to explain our mission in life from Peter's perspective in his sojourner's guide. This is our mission, to make God known throughout the world. How? Peter, from his perspective, is to live faithfully. And Peter's going to explain to us what exactly that looks like. Live faithfully in this area. Live faithfully in this way. Live faithfully here. And he's going to give us that in our guidebook. Live faithfully as a sojourner in this world. Now look what Peter says here in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Look what it says. He says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then you drop down to verse 11, and he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. What Peter's doing here is he's tying our mission back to our identity and our security and our destiny in verse 9. And then he urges us to do something. He urges us to fulfill this mission of making God known to the world. And I love how Peter does it. He, he doesn't command us to do this. He begs us. He, when Peter says, I beg you, he's making a very personal and passionate plea to us as sojourners in this world. He's not commanding us. He's urging us personally and passionately to live faithfully in order to make God known in a hostile world. It's almost as if Peter is putting himself where we're living. And so instead of commanding us, he's like, hey, he, he pleads with you. And he's begging you, don't give up. Don't abandon the faith. Don't cave into the pressure. And he's exhorting and he's pleading with you with everything he's got. I beg you, stand firm in this faith that you've been given from God. You're a sojourner. And we'll get to what that word means here in a minute. And so he comes with us personally and passionately begging you to live faithfully as a sojourner in order to make God known in this world because that's what you were created for. That's what you were saved for. Now, don't miss the basis on which Peter makes this plea to live faithfully. It's based on our identity in Jesus Christ. And so it's critical to remember who we are, who you are in Christ, if we're going to fulfill our mission in life. So two points here. Remember who you are. One, we are the beloved people of God. We're the beloved people of God who are chosen by God. And all this comes from verse 9 now. Chosen by God, have access to God, and are set apart for God and belong to God. You find each of those phrases in verse 9 when Peter says there, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And then he kind of caps it off in summary term of this word beloved in verse 9. Now, if you could use only one word to describe who you are to God, there's not a better word than this. Beloved. 
beloved. Now, I know it's not a term we, we use. I don't know how many guys here call their wives, oh, beloved. It's just not a term we use that often. But Peter's choice of this word, it's an awesome word. In fact, it's the honored title for God's chosen people. We are beloved by God himself. In other words, we are the objects of God's great love. So much so that he, according to verse 9 and 10, he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And now we are the people of God. And as the people of God, do you realize we have received his mercy and grace? And so you are beloved by God. Now, why would Peter remind us of that? Why does he start this sojourner's guide in verse 11 with that term, beloved? Because I guarantee you, one of the first things we begin to doubt when we go through difficult times in life is what? Does God love me? Does God care about me? Because God seems to abandon me. God seems to be nowhere around. I'm going through difficulty. I'm being persecuted. I'm suffering. I'm in this hostile environment and world. And we're like doubting now. Where's God? And so immediately here, Peter is establishing something. He's establishing your identity. Don't forget who you are in this world. You are beloved by God. And the reason is because you're not beloved by the world. In case you haven't figured that out yet, you aren't. You are not beloved here in this world, but you are beloved by God himself. If God has intervened in your life, opened up your eyes and your heart to see the need for Jesus Christ and to see yourself as a sinner, let me tell you, you have been the recipient of God's grace and mercy and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are beloved. Don't forget that. But then he goes on, he uses another term here. We are also sojourners, though. We're sojourners and pilgrims in a hostile world whose citizenship is in heaven. Now, some of your Bibles use the terms aliens and strangers. There's other Bibles, uh, versions, use the word sojourners and pilgrims to describe who we are in this world. And all these terms are, are synonymous and they basically mean the same thing. We're sojourners living in a hostile world whose citizenship is ultimately where? It's in heaven. Sojourners refers to someone living in a foreign country, but without the rights of citizenship in that country. Pilgrims describes those people as living alongside of people whom they don't belong. You say, what does all this mean? It means we're sojourners who are never fully at home in this world. We reside in this world, but we don't belong to this world. Why? Because our citizenship ultimately is not in this world. It is in heaven. That's what Paul reminds us in Philippians 3 verse 20. When you were born the first time, you were born into this world. But when you experience the new birth, you are born again spiritually into a new world. And from that moment on, we belong to God. 
We belong to a different world. And as a result, we are now what Peter defines sojourners, strangers, resident aliens in this world. This is why at times you may feel awkward. You may feel like I don't quite fit in. I'm never fully at home in this world. And yes, that makes us a little bit odd. Because we are part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. So who are we? We are the beloved people of God who are sojourners in this hostile world. So let's all run from the world. Let's live in gated communities, isolated from the world, and let's become obsolete in the world. Is that the answer? No. Of course not. Please notice this. Peter doesn't call us to isolate from the world. He calls us to be agents of transformation in the world. He calls us to live faithfully so that we can make God known in this world. So where do we start in this adventure? Verses 11 and 12 tell us the sojourner's life. By the way, if you're a believer in God, in Christ, that's you. The sojourner's life is lived out on two different fronts. It's lived out on the internal front and the external front. So let's look at it. The internal front. And here's the principle. Abstain from sinful desires of the flesh. Abstain from sinful desires of the flesh. Look what Peter writes now in verse 11. Look at it again. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. We could also translate that as sinful desires which war against the soul. Now, when you were born the first time, you were equipped with a full set of sinful desires and lusts. And we all say hallelujah to that one, right? Tell me something I don't know. And when you were born spiritually, these sinful desires and cravings of our sinful nature were not surgically removed. In fact, if you want a picture of this battle going on, Paul gives us his own personal testimony of it in Romans chapter 7, where he talks about this, this tension and this inner struggle and this battle going on between the, his old fleshly nature and his new nature. And although we've been redeemed and transformed in Christ, we're still living in, with the sinful nature, and the reality of sin still remains with us until we die. So becoming a Christian, get this, becoming a Christian doesn't end this war. When you got saved, it begins the war. Which means we need to be ready for the daily battle. Every day we wake up, we're in a battle. Notice this in your notes. Every believer is at war with the sinful desires of the flesh, which, if lost, will ultimately destroy you. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, you are living in a war zone. You are in a constant battle with your flesh, which Peter says, and this is interesting, notice his terminology. Look what he says here. He says it wages war against your what? Your soul. 
That's the eternal part of you. That can also be translated, you might even think of it as the inner person. And so waging war doesn't point to a one-time skirmish or a one-time battle, but to a long-term military campaign. And our sinful desires are personified here by Peter as an army of rebels who intend to capture and destroy the soul. Think of it this way. Your sinful desires are on a search-and-destroy mission against you. It's just... That's the reality of it. You say, well, okay, that's, I understand that. So how do we fight this internal war for the souls? Peter tells us how in one word. And he uses only one word. What is it? How do we wage war against the sinful desires in our, of our, against our soul? What's he say? Man, that's pathetic. What's he say? Abstain. He simply says abstain. And that word abstain, it literally means to hold yourself constantly back from something. Hold yourself back. And so we have a responsibility here. In other words, Peter is exhorting us, hey, don't give in to the sinful desires of the flesh. Abstain and hold back from them. And you say, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Peter doesn't give us a command that we cannot obey. It's more than possible to abstain. Why? Well, go back and remember something. Remember, we have a living hope. And when we fight through faith in a living Savior... With the power of the living word and the living spirit, we can experience God's victory in the war. You say, just how important is this war for our souls? Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26? Let me read it for you. The words of Christ himself says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul for what can a man give in exchange for his soul and so if the soul is lost the whole person is lost and there's no way to negotiate to get it back and so when this war against the soul is over it's over and so this is the greatest war of all time it affects everybody without exception and it affects everybody all the time here on this earth no wonder peter now calls us live faithfully Live faithfully as a sojourner. Live faithfully on the internal front. We're at war with the sinful desires of the flesh, and we must abstain if we're going to make God known in this world. And you may be wondering about now, well, what does fighting this war have to do with making God known? All right, I wake up in the morning, I'm fighting this internal war that's waging within me, what does that have to do with making God known to my neighbors, my coworkers, my family members, you know, whoever it may be? Because that's to be out over here. Well, Peter ties them together. It's got everything to do with it. Because when you fight this war, the internal war, victoriously, 
when you abstain from your sinful desires, you know what you are doing? You are making God known to the world. You are declaring something. You are declaring through your victory the glory and grace of Jesus Christ in your fighting and abstaining. We are declaring to the world that what's worth fighting for in this world is not the temporary things that we see and we touch. What we are doing is we are declaring that the salvation of eternal souls is what's most important, which only God can redeem through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so your battle, your fighting, your abstaining on the internal front affects making God known. Do you see the connection here? Peter ties it together. Peter also calls us, though, to live faithfully, not just on the internal front, but there's also an external front that the sojourner's life must be lived on. And you see it here in your notes. Maintain an honorable lifestyle in the world. Maintain an honorable lifestyle in the world. Look what he writes now in verse 12. Look in your Bibles or in your notes. Verse 12, you there? Peter says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Why? Well, he gives us the answer now. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, this is Peter's clearest statement on how we make God known in a hostile world. That is to maintain an honorable lifestyle, or we might think of it this way, to maintain a beautiful life. The word conduct refers to one's daily behavior, uh, a way of life. It refers to a lifestyle. And the word honorable that Peter uses simply means beautiful, excellent, noble, or praiseworthy. In other words, we are to live. This is what Peter is exhorting us. He's saying we are to live a beautiful, excellent, honorable, and praiseworthy lives that are filled with good works. But don't miss something here. Don't miss where he says to do this. He doesn't say do this in your bedroom. He doesn't say necessarily do this in your backyard and it's just you. He doesn't say do this in isolation. Notice where he says to do it. Peter says we are to do so among the Gentiles. And that term is just another way of saying the world of unbelievers. In other words, we are to maintain this beautiful life, this honorable lifestyle among people who are far from God. We are challenged to abstain from sin, but not abstain from sinful people. Why? Because our mission is to do what? Our mission is to make God known in this world. It's to make God known to a world, to people who need the hope of Jesus Christ, which is what we have. And so don't isolate 
from people and don't complain about your neighbor, your coworker, or whoever it may be. Instead, Peter wants us to rejoice in the opportunity to make God known. We could say it this way, if you want to fill in your notes. Live in such a way that even the world is impressed by your behavior. Live in such a way that even the world is impressed by your behavior. This means the world should look at our lives and admire and respect the way we live. This means we ought to be the most trustworthy people on the face of the earth. This means we ought to be the kindest people on the earth. This means we ought to be the most gracious people on the earth. This means we ought to be the people whose lives are marked by beauty and grace and love. And Peter uses this term, good works. Now, I love Peter. Peter's one of my favorite dudes in the Bible. I guess I shouldn't say dude. He's an apostle, a disciple. But I love Peter. And the reason I like Peter so much, he's probably my favorite New Testament character, is because Peter deals in reality. Peter, Peter deals in the real world. And he gets it. And, and so I relate to Peter. All his faults and warts. And then you, you, you study the life of Peter and what God did with him and how he transformed him. And God, Peter submitted to Jesus Christ and ultimately redeemed him and restored him. And now you've got Peter writing this sojourner's guide to us. And we're like, man, I get you, Peter. I could hang with you. And Peter's so real here. And so what he does now, he gives us two pieces of advice. And his advice It deals in the real world where we live. Notice the first piece of advice when it comes to living an honorable life or a beautiful life. He says, first, don't be surprised when the world unfairly accuses you of evil works. Don't be surprised, but that happens. In fact, Peter adds an important phrase that we may tend to overlook here in verse 12. He reminds us that we are to maintain an honorable lifestyle even when they speak against you as evildoers. In the early days of the church, Christians were sometimes the, the scapegoats for problems in society. In fact, they were oftentimes blamed for evil works. They were slandered as evildoers. For example, Christians were accused of cannibalism because of the rumors about the Lord's Supper when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. And of course, the world didn't understand that meaning from Jesus. And so they were falsely accused. Christians were accused of immorality because of their love for one another. Christians were accused of atheism because they didn't worship the idols of the world. Christians were even accused of terrorism because they were blamed by Nero for the burning of the city of Rome. Christians were accused of being disloyal because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Christians were accused of damaging business, leading slaves into insurrection, and breaking up families. It's really not that much different today, is it? Christians are being unfairly accused and even attacked across our world, and even here in our country. And so what's the answer? How do we deal with this? What do we do? 
Well, Peter's answer is, don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised. And then he basically exhorts us, keep living an honorable lifestyle that is filled with good works. And then he gives us this second piece of advice. He says, don't be surprised when the world closely observes your good works. Peter says, if we live an honorable life, our good deeds will eventually be inescapable. Peter uses the word observe. And that word means more than just a glance or a passing look. It, it pictures the idea of a close personal scrutiny of an eyewitness. And so whether we realize it or not, the world is watching us all the time. You are being watched. They study us and they pay attention to how we live and in particular, how we respond to life's both the successes we experience, but more importantly, how we respond to life's difficulties and sufferings. When, we're, when we get injustice dealt our way, how are we going to respond to that? That speaks volumes. You see, the world wants us to think and believe that Christianity has no power to change lives. And so they begin by accusing us as evildoers. But Peter believes that good deeds will win out over this prejudice in some. As one commentator writes, good deeds, even though they may be misrepresented and defamed for the moment, and they often are, They are still the best answer to the opposition of a hostile world. And so remember, every day you are either drawing people to Jesus or you are pushing them further away by your life. As the beloved people of God, we are sojourners in a hostile world. And our mission, loud and clear, Peter says, is live faithfully. Live faithfully. Live faithfully. And do it on two fronts. Internal and external. Because here's the reason why. The ultimate issue in all of this is there is a glory here to magnify. Notice this in your notes. The reason we are called to live faithfully as sojourners is so the world may see our good works and ultimately glorify who? God. That's what it's always about. God's glory is the ultimate issue here. And the hope is that our good deeds may cause, that God will use our good deeds and will cause some people in the world in which we interact with these people to give up their opposition in unbelief and be won over to Christ and glorify God. And that's why Peter says in the rest of verse 12, look at it. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, they, they may do this. And we pray that some will do this by your good works, which they observe, do what? Glorify God in the day of visitation. You know what Peter's doing here? 
he's paraphrasing something that he heard earlier when he was a follower of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was here on this earth. And for three years he followed Jesus because Jesus made this audacious statement in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, the whole purpose of our good works is not for the sake, and hear me here, it's not for the sake of making us saved. Our good works is not for the purpose of adding on to our salvation. We are already beloved by God. We are secure in God, in our position before God as declared righteous. And so there is nothing more we can add to our salvation before God. So our good works here is not a means of earning more grace, earning more acceptance by God. We are beloved by God. And so it has nothing to do with that. Jesus has already done everything there is to do on the cross when he said what? It is finished. And so the purpose of our good works now is to glorify God so they, they may glorify God during the, and Peter uses this interesting phrase here, during the day of visitation. You're like, what in the world is that? Well, in this context, the day of visitation could be the day of Christ's coming, or it could be the day of salvation when an unbeliever is visited with the converting power of God's grace. In either case, the overarching point is that God gets the glory. When his people persevere in a beautiful life that's filled with good deeds. All right, so let's stop. Kind of take a deep breath. What does all this mean? Peter's saying that the goal, the ultimate purpose of maintaining a beautiful life or an honorable lifestyle is to glorify God. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that they may glorify God. So, listen, don't let this hang out here. Because here's the tendency right now. We'll, we'll, we'll take this, this concept and it'll be disconnected from us. So, connect the two. Connect this concept to your life right now. This means... The significance of my life, the significance of your life is determined by whether our lives direct people's attention to God in his glory. As far as God is concerned, your life has eternal significance to the degree that it points people to God and his gospel. This means if we live our lives in such a way that we don't that we don't point people to God's glory, then what we become as we live in this world is simply an echo of our culture. We're really not any different. In other words, we fit into the world so well that our lives don't point beyond this world in which we see and touch and feel. 
And if that's the case, then we are no longer in Peter's vernacular sojourners in this world, but rather we have now become conforming citizens of this world. This is the reason Peter calls us to do what? To live faithfully. Because there's a glory to magnify, and that glory is not yours, it is God's. With that in mind, let's answer one last question. How does a sojourner's life magnify God's glory? Notice it. When the world looks at your life, what they see expressed in your good works is your hope in God. Later on in the same book here, a Peter's guide, he says in chapter 3, verse 15, He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So let me ask you, do you have hope? Do you have hope while living in this world? And if so, what is that hope? What are you basing that hope on? Let's say the world sees you acting in a certain way. There's, there's some humble act of love, some righteous act of courage, some act of generosity, some act of service. And what they notice is that you're not hoping in what people usually hope in in this world. Such as self-exaltation, money, we hope in possessions, we hope in security, we hope in this and that, this attainment, this accomplishment. And as they see, that's not what he hopes in. That's not what she hopes in. She's hoping in something different. And they're puzzled by this. They're puzzled by where your hope is in. And so God prompts them. God begins to work in them and prompts them to ask you about your hope. Where do you get that from? That's different. Where do you get your confidence? Where do you get your contentment? Where do you get your satisfaction when you act that way? And of course, hopefully, you share the reason is the hope you have in God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how that's made all the difference in the world for you. So, if we're going to magnify God, if we're going to glorify Him in this hostile world, then Peter exhorts us, he begs us to see yourself as a sojourner and to focus on God so that your hope is in Him and not in this world. Because as Jesus said, this world is simply passing away. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? Aren't you grateful for that? And so, our hope, folks, listen to me. It's not based on whether Kavanaugh gets confirmed or not. Our hope is not based on whether our country has a presumption of innocence or a presumption of guilt. Our hope is not based on who gets elected in this upcoming midterms three weeks from now. Our hope is not based on the next president. Our hope is not based on any of that stuff. Our hope is not based that the economy is booming right now, but six months from now, it could all crash like it did with the housing market. Our hope 
is in God. And it makes all the difference in the world. And that's why Peter says, listen, you're beloved by him. You are in his care. You are in his hands. And yes, you are in this world for a time, but you are just passing through. You are a sojourner. And here's your guide to survival. But not just survival. Here's your guide to making God known until he brings us home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that we could gather here this morning and we could open up your word to what Peter has written for us. And Lord, it's your truth. It's your revelation to us. And so help us as sojourners to take it to heart. Give us the grace and the faith and the power we need to live on these two fronts and to live faithfully so that we can make you known in this world that is desperate for Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.